the co-chairman of the San Jose Guerrero Coalition to Save Our Streets, which is in the Mission District, um, where Districts 8 and 9 meet, right by I-280. So we have a lot of quality of life issues. <clears throat> and um, we uh, worked on a lot of traffic calming, and one of the things that came up for us as a sort of easy thing to do or required thing to do in the neighborhood would be a lot of greening. So we've been working on greening the medians on Guerrero Street in San Jose. Currently we've got eight, nine blocks done south of Cesar Chavez, and we're working on extending the project northwards. Um, and as part of that work, I was invited to uh, join the project advisory committee for the Community Challenge Grant program, which had recently been retooled in 2005 to more explicitly encourage neighborhood involvement. Um, so that's me. This is David Winslow. I'm David Winslow. I'm an architect and urban planner. Um, and currently, we've been allowed to do the focus, take into uh, practice one of the focuses of my research over the last 20 years, which is alleys. And I'll talk more about that as we get started. Uh, my name is Joseph Norris. I'm uh, director of KidServe. We're an arts education program where we uh, guide communities and specifically young people through the process of creating uh, permanent mosaic art uh, out in their communities. And uh, it's, it's uh, about creating public art, but really also about bringing people together to kind of transform a wall in their, in their neighborhood. And um, the panelists were invited here specifically because, well, A, they have received community challenge grants, but um, they also have really exemplary public processes in terms of, um, for, for one thing, creating something out of nothing, where seemingly nothing was really possible previously, but also um, really uh, thoughtfully figuring out who the stakeholders are in their community and how to involve them on an ongoing basis, um, hopefully with the view towards being able to challenge that or channel that involvement into other issues because that typically is the kind of thing that sustains neighborhoods is if you can grow from a one-issue group into a multi-issue group, you're going to have sustainability. Um, so maybe the next thing to do is just kind of see a show of hands of how many of you have already applied for CCG grants or know what they are and how they work. Okay, so most of you don't know anything about the program. All right, so um, I don't really like to talk a whole lot um, this way. I'd rather much rather have a discussion where we sort of bounce around ideas. Um, the room isn't really set up for that, so we'll do what we can. But I should at least begin by giving a brief overview of how the CCG um, grant system works. Um, so the Community Challenge Grant Program is funded through the Neighborhood Beautification Fund, which is paid for by businesses annually. It's an opt-in system. When you, re when you renew the registration on your business, there's a little checkbox that we hope businesses will check, which designates a percentage of your business, annual business registration towards the Neighborhood Beautification Fund. Um, and it was created specifically to make sure that you know, monies go directly into the neighborhoods. Um, which is difficult to do through other vehicles in the city. Um, so it pulls in about a million dollars a year. So twice a year we give away $500,000 typically. Um, <clears throat> there are three categories of grants. There are small projects, which are awards up to $10,000. 
Um, and those require a neighborhood match of 50%, and I'll explain how the match works shortly. There are medium projects which go from $10,001 to $25,000, and those only require a 25% local match. And then the large projects go from $25,001 to $100,000, and those also require a 25% match and require more rigorous documentation that your group has done large, larger projects before and can do them. What's the designation? Is the breakout small, medium, large? Is it a dollar amount that, that it takes to accomplish? Um, you how, mean? How, how do you know if a project is a small project, a medium project? Or a oh, because people ask for what they want. You have a budget. You have to, re you have to ask for a budget on your project. And right, you have to ask for a yeah. budget, but right. is, is that the whole scope of the project? If we went small, $10,000. No, 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 okay. not at all. Okay. Um, so that's a really great question, and we should talk about stuff like that when we kind of do Q&A. I'd rather run Q&A more like a, a discussion where we kind of bounce ideas off of one another and get a sense of how you can kind of work your projects continuously if you need to. Um, so let's see. Um, there are – we only fund a certain kind of project, so the – the project types are urban forestry and landscaping, community art, gathering places, neighborhood beautification, graffiti and litter abatement, and street and sidewalk maintenance. And there's kind of a lot of crossover between those. Um, many projects come in and it's, you know, they're kind of both categories, so not to worry about that. But um, the point is that there are lots of things that we don't fund. For instance, um, in a workshop a year ago, somebody wanted to know if we would fund a bathroom in a park. And we won't do that because it's, it's for one thing, it's uh, an object that should come out of an agency's budget. And it's also not something that you can really, as far as we can figure out, involve the community in. Like, <laughs> the community is not really going to build a bathroom or maintain a bathroom for five years. And they might. I mean, more power to you if you can figure it out. But that was not the application that was submitted. Um, so then let's see. What else have we got? Let's talk about... Um, briefly the match because that has to be that requirement has to be met before we talk about the scoring. So the point of the match <clears throat> the reason that the, pro, uh, the program was retooled and called the Community Challenge Grant is that the idea is to really encourage neighborhoods to value themselves and their own work. And so the grant is unique in the city and um, in many other cities in that we've, we've place a dollar value on your volunteer time of $14 per hour. <clears throat> so you're allowed to include your volunteer time as the match. And as a committee, we more strongly favor neighborhoods that come in with the bulk of their volunteer match made up through volunteer time rather than dollars. Um, you know, some projects will come in and they have the required match, but it's all cash from a big corporation. Um, that's fine, you know, it doesn't show a whole lot of community challenge, which is what we're really interested in. Um, and it's unclear in that, the, you know, dollar from a big corporation match, how the community is necessarily going to sustain that. Are you hoping that you're going to get an equal match from the corporation subsequently? I and mean, we don't know. So whereas when you <clears throat> submit your budget um, and you've documented volunteer hours and given us a sense of what those look like, um, that's something that we really like. And um, 
the volunteer hours can just be unskilled labor, you know, people in the neighborhood, or they can also be professional services, and those are donated. Uh, those can be volunteered at up to $70 per hour. So if you have an architect in the neighborhood that's donating their design fees, that's a $70 value, et cetera, et cetera. You can see how you can pretty quickly come up with a very nice match if you have a, you know, robust community. And that is a self-fulfilling thing. The more of that you have, the more of that you, you can do, and the more likely that you are going to get not just all grant, but, you know, grant several grants, and then you can parlay that into um, other grants from other institutions like San Francisco Beautiful. Um, so then... <clears throat> To further emphasize the uh, community challenge portion of the, of the match, we then score applications once they come in um, with a heavy emphasis on community building and community benefits. So um, if you all have that application package, it's pretty self-explanatory between pages three and four. Um, community benefits get, we, we, it's a scale of 100 points. 35 points go to community benefits, 20 points go to neighborhood participation, 30 points go to project feasibility. Um, but the participation 20 points is then sort of furthered by um, 10 points in the community benefits section. So really a lot of it is skewed towards um, projects that have a lot of neighborhood involvement. Uh, so <clears throat> then... Sure, there's, it's on, it, do you have this package? No. Yeah, it's on. Oh, it's right there in the box up there. And there's also, it's also on um, sfccgp.org has the application. That's the, the, community, uh, the community Challenge Grant webpage. Um, so let's see. It's a highly, hold on just a second. It's a highly competitive grant, um, you know, there are a lot of there are over there's something like 200 officially recognized neighborhoods in the city of San Francisco. You should check it out sometime. If you go to the um, sfgov.org, the city's webpage, and you click on agencies and you go to the planning department, on the planning department's homepage, it's a really groovy Excel spreadsheet that they update whenever they have time of um, neighborhood organizations that want to be notified for you know land use changes and things in their neighborhood. There's 200 neighborhood groups on that thing, and um, there are more forming every day. Um, so, and many of them are interested in getting money to improve their neighborhoods. So we usually have applications along the order of two and a half times the funding that we have. So, you know, like we'll have $500,000 available to give out and we'll get, you know, $1.3 million worth of applications. Um, so it's very competitive. We aren't hard and fast about um, breaking down the money between small, medium, and large. Um, you know, we're pretty flexible. We like to, we just like to look at good projects. And so, you know, we always try to find, fund, fund one large project, but if that's a $100,000 one, we might not fund two large projects because maybe that, that cycle, there are a lot of really great medium or small um, grant applications. So with that, I'm going to quit yakking and um, invite David and Joseph to, Joseph to talk about some of their projects um, and how they have looked at uh, their neighborhoods and tried to figure out who the stakeholders are that can be uh, really activated to produce a lasting physical improvement in their neighborhood. You want to go first? Um, uh, sure. Um, 
Can everybody hear me? I don't want to blast everybody. Can everybody hear me now? I don't want to blast everybody out of their chairs with this microphone. Um, basically, what my organization does, I'm a, a very small nonprofit. Uh, I have a couple people that work for me part time. Um, I've been basically, I do uh, mural residencies in schools, community centers, after school programs. Uh, around San Francisco and now the Bay Area. We've done projects in Oakland and Marin as well. Um, and um, I'll usually work with a group of young artists and their teachers and parents for a limited period, like 14 weeks, 28 weeks, a semester, usually during a school year or during the summer program. And we'll guide these young artists through the process of designing and creating a permanent outdoor mosaic mural somewhere in their neighborhood. So if you've driven past 19th and Irving uh, and seen the mosaic mural by the Starbucks or driven past the Performing Arts Garage at Goff and Fulton or down Geary Boulevard and seen the mosaic murals, chances are you've seen some of our KidServe murals. Um, the KidServe residencies usually start with a phone call and a meeting to meet with people in the community that are interested in doing a project that involves transforming part of their neighborhood. Uh, a couple years ago, I actually had funding from an Oakland-based foundation um, to do a mosaic project at a school in Oakland. Uh, they had $10,000 for me uh, to work with the school. I had already done a mosaic project at this school two years beforehand. Uh, supposedly, the hard part was already taken care of. We had the money. And I couldn't get the principal to sit down and meet with me for a 20-minute meeting. And the idea is that, is that I'll meet with the principal, meet with some of the parents, meet with uh, the chosen teachers, usually one or two teachers, and we'll start a project. And I had the money. Uh, they didn't have to come up with the money. And I couldn't get the principal to meet with me. And, and one of my murals was already up in their school. Uh, I, I told the secretary, I said, we're, we're going to lose this opportunity if I don't get somebody to call me back. So I got this teacher who sounded totally overextended and said, look, this was kind of dumped in my lap and I don't know how to handle this and the, the other teachers are going to be angry if they get left out and can you, can you work with 400 of our kids? I said, no, I'm only going to work with 40 of your kids. Uh, I couldn't get her to return a phone call. I finally went to the funder and said, if I can't get these people to sit down and meet with me when I'm bringing a $10,000 program to their school, how good is this partnership going to be? Can I work with a different school? And they said, sure, absolutely. As long as it's in the same general neighborhood and works with the same population, fine. And, and, and I did. And I called another principal. Uh, she met with me uh, at the meeting. And this is true for all of the meetings. Uh, she, the principal was there. Uh, she had two teachers already there. Two parents were there. Um, uh, members of the PTA, Parent Teacher Association, were there. Uh, uh, so what I, kind of the invisible signs that I get is uh, community involvement. The Parent Teacher Association, I, I like seeing people there at those meetings because they're uh, uh, members of the community that are coming together to try to uh, make the school a better place for their kids, uh, which can involve a lot of things, but oftentimes involves uh, removing graffiti, making the grounds better, doing community gardening uh, um, work, uh, really taking back the neighborhood. So they're basically doing the same kind of work that KidServe is doing. And uh, the fact that uh, 
parents and teachers kind of show up because they're interested, it, it says community involvement. So those are the things that I really look for when, uh, when I start a, a you know, when I get on the uh, phone and try to create uh, a meeting. And the one thing I'll say is that I, I know that the deadline for this upcoming grant is the 19th. That's coming up very soon. Oh, it's actually, that's not right. I'm sorry. It's actually, you should all know that the deadline was extended to October 12th. Oh, okay. That, uh, but uh, what I was going to say is that if for some reason, uh, you know, it, it takes time to set up meetings, there are new deadlines that are going to be coming up again in, in the spring. So uh, if for some reason you miss this deadline, uh, you know, stay in touch with the website because there are new deadlines that come up. And uh, the other thing I'll just say is that, you know, Parent Teacher Association, that's, these are parents, grandparents that live in the neighborhood. They're a representative of this neighborhood. It's a great way to involve it. Uh, merchants associations, uh, that's usually a phone call I'll make after that initial meeting because these are businesses in the immediate neighborhood. A lot of these people have been in this neighborhood for years. And, um, um, and, it, and that'll also, if I can get a meeting with them, it says that they're interested in talking with me, um, and um, and and these are great ways to get kind of volunteer commitments. Uh, businesses will often be willing to uh, to donate uh, either anything from refreshments to uh, soil for a gardening program for anything like that. So I guess with that. Um, okay. Well, um, I come from a, a slightly different. Uh, I was a CCG grant uh, applicant. I'll share my extensive audiovisual presentation with you so I can talk and have something to show at the same time. Uh, my office we, used to be until a month and a half ago above this uh, cafe that's along Linden, which was about three years ago, a little kiosk that was installed in this garage space and kind of became this overnight um, success of people coming and waiting in line for this individually made coffee. And through that process, this is just a little bit of the context of the project, through that process, people waited in line, and they waited in line on these narrow sidewalks, and they kind of started rubbing elbows and talking to people. And so there's this community that developed from that action or that use on the space. And at some point, somebody pulled out a table and a chair on this little narrow six-foot-wide sidewalk, but a neighbor complained that that was, you know, kind of blocking the sidewalk. And so we thought, well, the owner of the building and, and, and partner of the cafe said, gee, can we do something, you know, like get a sidewalk encroachment permit? No, because the sidewalk's too small. And then just about that same time, we were thinking, well, you know, there's this plan in the Market Octavia uh, plan, neighborhood plan that has a, you know, that emphasizes the use of alleys as creating living space. You know, these here's this neighborhood that's gridded with busy streets, and yet in between this are these very, you know, narrow and underused streets that could be, off, you know, used to offset and be public gathering spaces and, and planted areas that are more people, conducive for people. So we thought, well, that's a great idea. Let's, let's dip, you know, scratch the surface of that. Within a, day, a week, the Community Challenge Grant and the Mayor's Office of Greening had kind of like grown up from its own grassroots. And it was just kind of kismet in a way that, you know, there was this coincidence of, of events. And so we, we, you know, kind of sketched up a few drawings about what we could, would think of, which is basically to remove 
a couple of parking, three parking space, on-street parking spaces, so as to narrow the roadbed of the street and then provide places to sit, uh, uh, you know, sit, landscaped areas, and so forth uh, for the community of coffee drinkers, if you will. At the same time, we started to realize, well, okay, you know, this is going to cost real money, and it's a tremendous opportunity to connect with our neighbors, neighbors being residents. You know, this is a really mixed-use alley. It has automo automobile repair shops. It has some residential, and it has some businesses. Um, and so, you know, it's not your traditional one block of residential users or something. So we, we, we just reached out with the, the sketches we had and found a receptive audience. Um, and I think that was, you know, it was so receptive that it was kind of like just this yearning. People really looking for a good idea and a good place to do it. And, you know, from there, it enabled the city, the partnership of the city to give us grant through the CCG and really help that whole process along. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like starting the snowball rolling, is getting a grant from the city and you know, validating this idea, and then we're on our way. Um, so what we did was, you know, in, in terms of applying for the grant, we came up with one of the sketches that's floating around, which is this curvy little bermed oasis in the middle of the street. And, um, you know, that's not anything near what the ultimate outcome will be because in the real world of design, there's things like the transportation authority and the parking, tra tra parking traffic and um, accessibility issues that actually kind of make the thing a little bit more normative. But the idea in our design was to take a portion of the alley about 90 feet west of Gough Street and raise the entire roadbed, if you will, to the level of the sidewalk and with a uniform paving material. So that there's this feeling of continuity that there's not a dedicated space either for pedestrians or for automobiles. And then interspersing landscape elements such as seating blocks and benches and planters and trees in that and really creating this space that's intimate and usable by this, you know, community of not only coffee drinkers from this particular use, but the residents and business owners and anybody else who happens to be wandering through Hayes Valley, and um, you know, feels like there's this sees and discovers this special space that's you know accessible to all. Um, the the meeting with community members was. You know, it's one of those things that I never like to do personally. <laughs> you meet with people and you're always going to be faced with a hundred different objections or a hundred different ways of doing something. Uh, in this process, it was, we, we approached it as a very collaborative idea, very fluid, that we have no preconceived, no, well, we, I mean, we do have a preconceived notion of the desired outcome, but no preconceived notions of how to get there. And the result was just an input of a lot of good ideas from unexpected places you know, people that, you know, are not necessarily professionals or used to even thinking about urban spaces in these terms. And I think that was one of the keys is kind of going into it not knowing. Not, you know, as a professional, I didn't know how to do something like this. Um, I'd never done one before. And I think that was an enabler. Um, 
and then you know, relying on that network of people at various stages through the permitting process. Um, and, you know, which is where we are now. We're about halfway through the permitting process. We'll start construction in the spring. Um, but it has yet to be seen, like, how that community will really develop over this object, lesson two, um, carry on not just using it, but tending for it, caring for it, maintaining it. Um, whether that's with money or in kind, you know, picking up litter and watering plants. Um, but that's the desired outcome. So. so you can kind of see or hear from the, the differences in their, in their projects that <clears throat> David Winslow's project is obviously a, I think you kind of got it, that it's a large project and it's complicated. It involves several city, many city agencies, a whole lot of hoops to go through. Um, it's quite expensive, and it's also really innovative, and there are sort of ahas kind of all over the city wherever people have alleys um, that are sort of traditionally underutilized spaces in San Francisco that a lot of times attract crime. Um, you know, they're kind of crying out for um, more creative stewardship at, in, an, in a city in which we aren't going to be building a whole lot more parks. Um, so, <clears throat> but to deal with that kind of issue is very complicated. Um, and perhaps overwhelming, but you can kind of see, I, th I hope, uh, or hear from his uh, presentation that there really was an aha that happened in the neighborhood. That, you know, this idea that, you know, su supporting ideas came from unexpected places. That's what we see time and time again in the CCG grant program. Um, <clears throat> that these things really activate communities and that a lot of people are really grateful for that. That a lot of people in neighborhoods are just kind of waiting for the right thing to get them involved. Um, and that's a really powerful thing to have in your neighborhood. And um, kind of the ultimate focus of this workshop, uh, not the workshop, but the, the NEN summit today is to sort of repeatedly bash us all over the head with um, Hurricane Katrina, that when the complement to that happens here, which is an earthquake, that um, the neighborhood, the stronger neighborhoods that are going to survive and do well are the ones that, you know, are are capable of dealing with a variety of issues and are at base used to talking to one another. Um, you know, there's a sort of buddy system on a variety of levels. Because um, um, I just heard some alarming things about some of the New Orleans neighborhoods that in um, neighborhoods in New Orleans in which there wasn't a history of conversations or a history of shared projects and activism, the decision about the futures of those neighborhoods, whether they would exist or not, is being made by the federal government. And many of those neighborhoods are, are going to be parkland. Um, so that's kind of the, <laughs> the, the opposite extreme of what you want to have happen in San Francisco. Um, so San Francisco is all about neighborhoods, but some neighborhoods are better at this kind of thing than another. And the community challenge grants are a really fun way, we hope, um, to stimulate these conversations. Um, and I just want to point out a, a few really great people in the room that maybe you don't already know um, to give you examples of, further examples of what kind of things are possible. So um, Mark Tognati and Canoli Orioli are here. Um, they run a small company called the Neighborhood Assemblies Network, and they specialize in large group conversations. Um, which is sort of a basic building block um, to think about if you, you know, you don't really know where to start with these things. You're like, maybe you have the space in your neighborhood that's crying out for some kind of project, but you don't know what you should do with it and you don't know who the partners are. Um, 
you know, there, it's good to know that there are people like that in the city who can help initiate conversations or if you can get the people in the room, they'll make sure that they talk to one another. Um, so, so those are some kind of tools, you know, people that you might want to talk to. And there's also Elaine Zamora is here. She's the executive director uh, of the uh, a community benefits district in Soma. Um, and ten one, sorry. Um, and that's a really um, another exemplary idea where um, property owners have basically elected to tax themselves to create their own pool of funding to have a discussion about more expensive um, permanent physical improvements that they want to have in their neighborhood. And they've agreed to tax themselves, is it for five years or, years or 15, right. Um, so they can have this ongoing conversation for 15 years by creating their own source of funding. Um, that's kind of taking the CCG idea and really running with it and creating your own, your own thing on an ongoing basis. Um, so I would like to try to figure out some way for all of you to start talking <laughs> and instead of us. So CCG, Community Challenge Grant. Yeah. Just let me paraphrase her question because I don't know if everybody yeah. heard it. So her question, she has, she's really sort of jazzed on David's idea and also overwhelmed by how big it is. So the question, I think, is one of timing and phasing. How do you um, look at the scope of the project and how do you figure out what your timing is going to be? And are you going to apply for one grant or two grants? You know, how do you break it up into something that your community can chew? Right. Well, there's three things that our project had that one is it was limited in scale. I mean, it seems big, but it was a very small area of, as far as, like, needing to meet neighbor, you know, a, a core, create and meet with a core group of neighbors. The other one, it was, it was, you'll forgive me, but it was autocratically initiated. In other words, we had this idea, and we said, and we had the talent, architect and developer in this building who could say, you know, just, whip something up on paper and make it look nice, I mean, re re and real. But also, with the resources of asking a contractor, you know, what would likely cost a range of material costs for such an undertaking? So we could fill out that application with a fair amount of, um, and I might say, you know, the, the thing for the large grant is they say past experience. We didn't have past experience. We've done other things, architecture and buildings, but nothing like this. So, but we, you know, cobbled together enough credibility and, and actual knowledge to be able to fill it in with confidence. Um, so, I mean, autocratically started, in other words, we could say, let's try this decision and then shop it around and take ideas. And it was um, not a big deal to sit down at lunch since we worked there or after work and meet with neighbors. Um, so it wasn't this huge administrative kind of, you know, spending all your time trying to find people to meet with. 
um, to get the thing off the ground. Is that? Yeah, you should document. You have to document your volunteer hours. That's your gold. I'm not, yeah. you know, not, and it's not just that it will help you get the grant. It's also that's if you document your volunteer hours and start paying attention to how much time you're spending, you're really um, building your business plan sort of for your neighborhood. You're really figuring out who your assets are and what kind of organization you have. I mean, you learn a lot by documenting what your volunteer hours. It seems really tedious, and everybody hates that kind of record keeping, but. That helps you understand who you are and who you, what you can deploy and really think about um, what kind of group you are. So she, I think her final thing was to kind of lament, maybe, <laughs> or um, I guess the, the follow-up question hers was, um, or comment was that <clears throat> David Winslow's project, in a way, they're lucky because they're an architect and a builder and they have this idea and so they have sort of the idea and the, many of the means to make it happen, which seems like it's easier. Um, whereas you live in a community that's much more diverse in terms of ethnicities and, economic, and, and economies and cultures, um, so just getting all those people in the room is really difficult. Um, and so what are you going to, you know, what kind of idea are you going to run through all those people that can possibly hold them all together? Um, so I would encourage you to think that actually you have a bigger asset <laughs> in a way, um, because you have a longer and more interesting journey to get there, um, and potentially unexpected results, a, a la what he was saying earlier, that you might come up with an entirely different outcome than maybe you were expecting. So in a way, it's a good thing. And I would encourage you to have a lot of those conversations um, and start small. You know, the largest infinity is from standing dead still to you know, zero to one, you know, to just that inertia to get anything moving at all is the hardest thing. But once you get things moving at all, it's much easier to sustain things and build things, and you'll feel that. Um, so I'm sorry, you had a question a really long time ago, and I blew you. Tell me some more, I think. Very loosely. I mean, we really value innovation. We're really encouraging people to be context-specific. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. It's not like DPW doesn't have a whole lot of rules and DPT doesn't. I mean, you know, it's a city, right? <laughs> uh, so there are a lot of rules and regulations, but... Um, Gathering space could be a bench. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, or a stool or something. I mean, we have had some issues with things that are temporary. 
um, you know, like, because what we're really looking at is permanent physical, permanent physical and sustainable physical improvements. Um, but really, there's, you know, it's your imagination and what's possible. So, go ahead. Oh, yes, you were, go ahead. No, you can, you can, the volunteer hours before you put the application together are fine. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I mean, one of the most, like I said before, the, the, the most difficult thing to do is to get from zero to one, right. right? That's the work. That's the hardest work. You should be rewarded for that. And the reward is that there's a value of your time. Absolutely. That goes into the match. Absolutely. I mean, Mind you, that doesn't preclude you from um, still, uh, uh, you know, bearing up your end of the five-year maintenance plan. <laughs> I mean, like we would, in that case, we would encourage you. Probably a project like that, if you spent a lot of time on the front end, you're going to have well beyond the percentage of match that's required. I mean, that's a, you know, a minimum 25% match for the small grants is what and we want. So <clears throat> We need to see a five-year maintenance plan. And yeah. And we're not, if you just say, oh, we're going to do something in a park and then Park and Rec is going to take care of it, we won't fund you. That is not acceptable to us. It was originally about $250,000. So we were well over that. Um, 25% match. So, so we asked for a, nearly 100, I think, uh -huh. 99999 so or something. Pardon me? The other of um, uh, <laughs> they're in my grant application. A very, you know, um, there's several businesses that, um, a, a combination. Of my, my professional services were a decent chunk of that, like 30 grand, I think. And then um, some businesses just giving in cash grant, um, grants. And then there was um, service uh, people producing things like benches, actual labor. Um, there was, I can't remember if it breaks down for maintenance. I, th I think maintenance is an, its own thing. But yeah, it was basically a lot of cash from various businesses that have pledged it. And then there's a gap, I think, still, which is, you know, question mark still. It may be more. <laughs> it was just our guesstimate a year and a half ago. Public spaces on that scale yeah. are very expensive. Anything that involves concrete is very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, removing concrete. <laughs> no. Uh, go ahead. You haven't asked a question. You're not in hand. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so oh, sorry. When you started this, was there a neighborhood organization? No. Oh, well. There is a neighborhood organization that encompasses that area, and that's the Hayes Valley Neighborhood Association which I happen to be a member of, um, and they've been very supportive. I mean, it, it's something that they plugged into immediately because it's in the Market Octavia plan. It's, you know, it's an identifiable thing that's been on their agenda for years. Okay, and are they, are they going to provide maintenance? I mean, that, to me, is a perfect neighborhood organization activity where they're volunteering you would, to do your maintenance? You would think, but that's not what they do. We don't, I mean, it's all about the neighborhood. That's yeah, not it's all about the neighborhood. It would be great if we could or use that infrastructure. Their 
thing to say, hey, we're going to have a work party day on you know every third Saturday of the month. But some neighborhood like organizations are much more idea. about policy and discussions yeah. and not about activity yeah, I mean, kind of you know, or land use issues and planning. Yeah. Sorry, and you had you had it for us. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just curious. Um, you don't have to have a master plan. Because I'm just out the market around Nathan Clementina, and there's um, um, I've been doing a lot of stuff with friends of the forest, getting the trees planted on Clementina Street. And right next to these trees is a parking lot. you necessarily need a master plan, but or, well, but I would say that he's going to give you more technical. I got answer. a flash idea for you. <laughs> and September 21st is parking day, yeah. which is this, you know, that. Do okay. Yeah. See, take take, you know, go to Home Depot, get some turf, and throw it down on that place, and show people what it could be like, and then start building on that momentum. Yeah, I mean, it's all about establishing the conversation um, to figure out who the players are, because. Typically, what we see in these projects is, I mean, we do repeat funding. So we have done repeat fundings of street trees in certain neighborhoods or, or tree basin expansions. Um, neighborhoods, some neighborhoods have started small. They've come at us for, you know, $5,000 or something to try something out and literally get something in the ground or you get something going and everybody goes, oh, I see, you know, and then how do I do that? How do I get that? Um, you know, so you know, don't worry if it's small. Please do. South Market, there's lots of other famous streets, which are really cool. Yeah. South Market's not all busy, power, and Harrison, and Wilson Street. But a lot of small theater streets. And um, so I was talking with an architect who was planning to think of the building. I said, why are all the garages located with the entrances of the garages on the small theater streets around right now, the Wilson or Howard or something like that? And they said, there's a there's, uh, there's an effort by the city to make sure all the garages are not on the major thoroughfare. Yeah, Well, all these small feeder streets are very, very small. And then I said to myself, well, you know, the problem is we're trying to develop a and It's all garage doors. a sense of community on these feeder streets. If all you have is row after row after row of garage doors, there's no way that a coffee store can there is actually um, many alleys and some in the mission at the moment are um, being permitted to have units built on the alleys for that very same reason that it provides it's a naturally traffic calm space in a way and it's sort of family friendly in sort of on the flip side um, and that, in a way, in certain neighborhoods, that those are also typically more affordable units. So, yeah, the, the city is definitely encouraging that. And it's, you know, it's difficult, but the bottle is in a garage. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. difficult. You have to deal with the issues. That's not the historical pattern. But you know, most of the alleys in the mission were built um, for ice delivery by horse. 
That's why they're the size they are. And all those garages went in in the 40s and 50s. They went in much later. So the facades that we're looking at were shoehorned in already, you know, 40, 50 years ago. I mean, just because, you know, we're used to them now doesn't mean it was always that way. I mean, go to the public library and look at the historical photographs of your, or online and look at the historical photographs of your neighborhood. A lot of times you can really get inspired by realizing that, you know, you can change things because it hasn't always been this way. Um, so, you know, like ice storage, you know, ice deliveries. <laughs> Well, what do we do with it now? You know, it's okay. <laughs> so, you have a question? I thought I'd try to take a conversation in a different direction. A uh, question for Joseph um, about the public art. I was wondering, did you build into your five-year plan some kind of maintenance for these beautiful artworks? Well, um, yeah, the, the, the maintenance plan, uh, that, that's in part where the conversation with the, for example, for the projects that take place at, on, on, at a school, uh, it's, it involves a conversation with the school principal and with uh, the PTA. Uh, so, for example, the um, PTA at Jefferson, which has been, was already very involved in a gardening program. So, you know, uh, like I said, uh, uh, neighborhood beautification, they, the wheels in terms of bringing the community together to, re, uh, to transform the space were already moving. And I was able to kind of hop on that band, bandwagon. And, and uh, uh, so basically, I created a letter of agreement with the PTA and the principal uh, that the principal signed and the PTA uh, president signed, saying that they will take um, responsibility for removing any graffiti that comes up. Uh, that was a big issue. Murals get tagged. I've done 60 of these uh, projects and only three of them have been tagged and it's been actually surprising to me how uh, I've, I've really not had a problem with, with vandalism um, and we've had uh, on the one at 19th and Irving the door next to the mural has been tagged, the bus stop has been tagged They've even climbed up on top of the bus stop to tag the top part of the Starbucks building, knowing that it would be hard to paint over that, but they've left the mural alone. Why? I don't know. I mean, maybe their siblings worked on the mural. Maybe maybe they just decided to leave it alone. But it's a cared-for space. I think that's one of the key things, is that is that if people see that a community is going to come back and remove the vandalism right away, it sends out a powerful message that I, I think that's I think the key one of the key things. So that, that came, that was part of the conversation and uh, involving the community. I was also wondering about your ability to refurbish paint that might have faded or mosaic ties that might have popped out. Yeah, uh, I mean, with, with, with a painted mural, there's a, a varnish called sheer coat which is a catalyzed varnish. Uh, that the, the tricky part is that you have to, when you remove the, the graffiti, you have to reapply new varnish. Um, with a mosaic tile, it's a lot easier to remove uh, uh, spray paint because uh, you can uh, use solvents and remove the, uh, the spray paint off it. Like I said, I've never had to uh, actually not, uh, well, I've only had three projects that have been vandalized and, uh, and uh, only uh, one of the mosaic murals have been uh, have been tagged, so it hasn't come up that much. And there, there's some really some people have done some marvelously creative things in terms of the maintenance. So um, Mona Karan is a muralist who did the Dubose bikeway mural on the back of the Mission the the Safeway, Safeway yeah, the Market Safeway, um, and that 
has been tagged very infrequently. It's another example of, you know, a cared for space. Um, it has, however, been dinged by shopping carts. <laughs> and so it needs a little TLC. And um, so Mona Karan works with a guy named Joel Pomerantz, who's done a lot of her um, technical fundraising and stuff like that. So his strategy was to have um, sort of the mural printed up in a long form, and they sell that. It's an attractive package that has the history of the mural on the back and who everybody is, and it has a picture of the mural. And he gets on the muni lines that go past that Safeway and talks about the mural to muni riders that get on and off in the neighborhood and sells that package. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's this, it's a wonderful spiral because it gets the money for the maintenance. It also makes more people continuously aware of the mural and that the neighborhood cares about it and that it's a community benefit. Um, and so that I, I, I've always really liked that idea. And so we um, we actually funded them to do some. They had, they had received NBF funding to implement the mural in the first place, and we recently funded them to do some some of the maintenance work because part of their match was his time, Mona's time, other neighbors' time, and some of the money that they had collected from uni writers. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to roll stuff like this. Please. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Again, we addressed it from the standpoint of looking at stakeholders through our community meetings. So are you excited about this plan? Yeah, great. Now, are you excited enough to donate money up front? Or will it be worth it to you to pay $20 a month because you live or work in front of this place on an app, you know, 20 or whatever? We haven't worked out the exact formula. But, you know, are you vested in it both spiritually, emotionally, and financially enough to you know, contribute to it. And so our, our idea, without going through the whole machinations of a community benefit district, is to create more of a, an informal but binding, you know, subscription, if you will. So your maintenance plan, you try to raise money to pay people to do the maintenance rather than have people... Yeah, I think there's... I think, I think it's going to be a bit of both. I mean, it's going to be we who, well, formerly... I don't work there anymore, but the people that, you know, are still in that Linden building are the primary, you know, tenders. They'll be out there picking up trash and replacing plants that get stolen or vandalized. And, but then there's certain things, you know, whether it's tree pruning or paving repair that might need to be done by an outsider and paid for that will be, um, you know, there'll be a fund that's established just like you would in a homeowner association. That, I mean, but that's, a, you know, that's a very complicated problem. Project. There are much smaller projects. I mean, I, what comes to mind kind of is that there's a project that I work on at the corner of um, Cesar Chavez and Guerrero. It's a little um, DPW public right-of-way um, from when Cesar Chavez Street was widened to be the freeway. Um, this house was demolished, and half of it's now street. Um, <clears throat> so it had been concrete, um, and then it had been a dumping ground. And we didn't actually get any CCG money. We just walked around and passed the plate in the neighborhood and um, planted it. And because in the absence of any plantings, it, you know, as, as a freeway connector, it became, you know, mattress land and tire land and then encampment and then, you know, the cat ate the rat. So <laughs> it just built. Um, so we pulled it all down and planted it, um, you know, 
cobbling together resources in the neighborhood. And so there's a little old lady across the street who's lived there forever. And, you know, she, um, whenever she sees anybody out there doing anything, she, she opens her window and yells at them. Um, and she doesn't have any money, but she wanted to water. You know, she doesn't have a garden. She lives in an apartment building. She wanted to contribute. So we passed the plate around again, and we got a hose and a sprayer and um, so she goes out there and waters and when she's on vacation she's now talked to her neighbors on either side to make sure that when she can't water that I mean you know like it's not it's not rocket science um, and there's always that's uh, what I would encourage you one, one of my parting shots is to encourage you to walk around your neighborhood and look at where there's too much concrete there's an enormous amount of ridiculous concrete things that are crying out for something, be it art or, you know, planters or um, garden spaces, you know, because those are the things that make neighborhoods livable and the process of doing something with them is also what makes neighborhoods livable. So, um, sorry, you had a question back there? No? <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. Well, I would. So the question is, you know, where do you start if you have a really big problem? Um, how do you scope it? Um, and I would again go back to um, talking to your neighbors. Um, so in my neighborhood, so we haven't been CCG funded, but in my neighborhood, the big issue that like was really standout obvious was traffic. Guerrero Street takes about 40,000 cars to and from the freeway, and there were many intersections near where I live that have no traffic controls at all. So you would see everybody in the neighborhood, anytime they wanted to cross, had six lanes of traffic doing 70 that they couldn't It's a lot like 19th Avenue. Um, so we um, downloaded, DPT has a traffic calming request form that you can download. So we downloaded it, and a few of us literally went door to door and asked people to sign this traffic calming request. And in the course of a month, we got 300 signatures. And it was sometimes difficult to get out of people's apartments in under half an hour because they wanted to tell me horror stories about their kids and like how they couldn't cross the street and blah, blah, blah. You know? And so I got to know the neighbors, and they got to know me and the rest of us. Um, and in that process, we learned a lot about who has which skills and who's you know, like willing to. People will literally say to you, well, I don't have any money, but I can do this. I have a truck or, you know, you, that's how you answer that question. Um, because you could figure out, you could work really hard to figure out how to raise the money to get it professionally done, but that's not going to build your neighborhood. Once it's built, then who's going to take care of it that way? So it's really, you really do have to start small and figure out who are the few caretakers and they, you know, you become sort of a, you know, like a planet that as you get bigger, you attract more matter around you.
what's the what's the what's the obstacle with renters? Did everybody hear that question, by the way? That, so, that, so the question is, the question is, if you're looking at the case of tree planting, for instance, and you have an area in which there's a high population of tenants, I mean, only 30% of San Franciscans own their homes, right? I mean, most of us are renters. Um, how do you deal with the issues that, you know, the, the property owner has to sign off on the tree planting? Um, but the property owner may not actually live in the building. And so if the renters are interested but the property owner isn't or vice versa, you know, the property owner wants it but the tenant actually wants to park their car on the sidewalk there. You know, like how do you deal with those kind of issues? So. Well, you know, I, I've been a renter and I was uh, – and I've been involved in friends, the urban forest plantings as a renter and kind of needling my landlord to do it. And I've seen other people do the same thing. So I think it's I, – I, I would start with the assumption that – you know, and now as a homeowner, I think, oh, renters, they don't have any vest, you know, anything invested in the neighborhood. That, they're going to be a hard group to push because they're here today, gone tomorrow, and they don't want to do anything probably. I don't think that's true. I think if you start the dialogue with them, you'll find they're just as invested in the neighborhood just because, you know, as living there. And that they can then pull the strings of whoever really ultimately has to sign and release the magic liability form for the city. I think it goes back to the, what David was saying earlier about finding the stakeholders. You know, uh, uh, most of the people on the PTAs in our schools are renters and are very concerned about the state of our schools and the quality of our education for their kids and, and uh, uh, are willing to put in an enormous amount of time and energy to, uh, to doing that. And the other thing I'd just say is that, you know, I, I mean, uh, planting a tree is about a lot more than just planting a tree. It's about really taking back your neighborhood. Right. Uh, putting a mural up on uh, a vandalized wall is a lot more than just doing art. It's about, you know, and, and uh, so finding stakeholders. Yeah, I would say that that's kind of consistent with my experience on Guerrero, too, where <clears throat> there are many blocks on Guerrero because of all the traffic that it's all, you know, it's all tenants. There's, there's nobody, there are very few property owners. But typically, um, because the sidewalks are so narrow and there's no streetscape, it's a really hostile place to live. And, you know, with very few exceptions, everyone, regardless of whether they own or not, really wants to see a livable city and greening. And so my experience has been that the tenants are the ones that will go to the property owners and say, we'll take care of it. Can we have a tree? You know, and the property owners, you know, sometimes the way that you get – with, you know, you get them as you say, look, it's going to increase the value of your property. You can raise their rent. I mean, that's not really true, but, you know, like, I mean, there, there's, there are various ways to appeal to, you know, what it is that's going to get somebody to sign on. I mean, if your tenant is really going to, you know, and um, if your tenants are really going to write on and say, you know, for the balance of my lease, I promise to water this tree or to pick up the dog poop that, you know, accumulates in it or whatever. I mean, you know, you can usually roll something like that. And um, one group to bear in mind in all of this conversation is that most applicants are not a 501c3. You're going to have to have a fiscal sponsor um, to, who's going to, you know, typically charge you 10% of your grant amount to help you deal with all the record keeping and, and, um, and required reporting of your grant. And <clears throat> That is actually an incredible boon to you because there are some terrific fiscal sponsors in the city. Um, there's um, the San Francisco Clean City Coalition, for instance, which also runs the um, tool, San Francisco Tool Lending Center. They're on Howard between 6th and 7th. They're a very experienced fiscal sponsor. Um, there is uh, Livable City. Um, 
There is uh, the Friends of the Urban Forest. There's the Neighborhood Parks Council. Um, and the reason that I bring these up right now is that um, part of the conversation, you know, the conversations with stakeholders that you can have are really with the fiscal sponsor because many of the fiscal sponsor have, sponsors have technical skills and tech, you know, technical skills and lots of experience with the city that they will absolutely share with you um, and become real stakeholders in your pro project. Yep. Right. Um, right. You know. and, yeah. And, and so you might want to like bounce your if you have an idea and, and we haven't addressed it. You know, I'm happy. We're all happy to talk to you afterwards. But you might also go down and, and talk to those people and bounce your ideas and just. Um, you know. One of one of my fiscal sponsors about eight years ago was the Bernal Heights Neighborhood Center, and it started with a conversation about dealing with this vandalized wall next to the library on Andover Street. They became my fiscal sponsor and talk about kind of a community ally and a way to reach all the, kind of like a tree with branches that reached out to all these other people in, in the neighborhood. What better resource to work with? Right. Right, right. The question is, if you require certain permits, you know, if your project will require certain permits, do you have to have those permits in place before you apply? And the answer is no. Um, however, I would caution you that, you know, you know, if wishes were horses, right? I mean, there are some things that just aren't going to fly, and there are some things that are quite complicated, and you should at least vet them with city agencies. Um, or with the other stakeholders to get a sense of whether it's feasible or not. Because if it ultimately isn't feasible, you know, you're going to lose the, the grant will have to be returned because you can't complete your project. So, you know, but it's common sense stuff, right? Go ahead. I, I just was curious, David. Uh, I saw some of the renderings with cars in them. Did your project eliminate automobile usage of the area? No. It just eliminated three parking spaces, narrowed down the effective road, Way. So you can still go through, um, but it will be apparent as a driver that you're in this space that you should be driving very slow and cautiously because it's going to look like and feel like more of a plaza than a road. Um, so, but it's about you know choices and overlays of diff multiple uses rather than this kind of mono you know cars here, people here kind of culture. It's a very common that that type of um, street typology is much more common in Europe than it is here. It's called a Wunerf, right? W-O-O-N-E-R-F. And they're shared shared spaces. That, I forget what the British call them. Shared streets? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the British call them. Um, Wunerf, I think, means living street or something. Yeah, like right, that. living um, streets. In Dutch. Um, They've been, you know, done in Denmark, England, Holland, and probably Germany for probably 20, 20 or 25 years or more. But they, you know, they don't have the regulatory, liability-conscious levels that we have. So, 
But on the other hand, we're not going to get any more, you know, very few more parks. So, <laughs> like, just remember that. They're not, you know, it's a built-up city. There's, there's a lot of space, but we have to start getting more creative with it. So, you know, it's your neighborhood. <laughs> Kennelly. You know, DPW has a lot of underutilized tiny parcels that are too small to be parks. There's a list of them on the DPW website somewhere. I mean, you know, those, that's, those are the kind of places where you have flexibility to start, you know, and you have to talk to DPW and you have to initiate a streets parks, street parks program and you talk to Liz Lerma and she'll figure out, help you figure out what's possible. Um, and then, you know, like again, start looking at sidewalks on streets. So um, what immediately springs to mind is Shotwell Avenue and the Mission. Um, Jane Martin has subsequently started a nonprofit called Plant SF, but she had a variety of, the, she and her neighbors had a variety of quality of life issues on their streets. So they had, I think, a 24 or 25 foot wide sidewalk, which is really nice and wide, really great for parking your cars all over. <laughs> and that's exactly what people did, largely on Shotwell in the evenings um, for the purposes of prostitution. And people wouldn't park parallel to the motion of traffic. They would park per perpendicular, which fits more cars on the sidewalk. So there, I mean, their neighborhood became um, a parking lot for prostitution. And then also there was dumping and there was intravenous drug use and it was driving people crazy. And so um, as a landscape architect, she figured out, you know, let's, well, let's make some lemonade. Um, and the kicker was that um, in the floods of 2002, 2003, I can't remember, there was really big floods and the mission flooded and twice within a couple months she woke up in four feet of backed up sewage because the mission is very low. And so all, all of the sewage from Twin Peaks on down the hill kind of backed up into the mission. And so um, <laughs> she realized that we are relying too much on the city's stormwater system. And so if you open up concrete, there's no reason to have all this concrete everywhere, you know, shoving all the water into the stormwater system. If you open up excess concrete, the water drains naturally instead of into the, and, and you can also have gardens and then you can get people off of parking off the sidewalk. So they did that. And it's a really remarkable project because it brought the whole neighborhood together, radically changed things. And it's beautiful. And, you know, all you have to leave is 48 inches for clearance for pedestrians and wheelchairs. But the rest of the space basically was just crying out for some kind of touch of the neighborhood to make it, you know, to make it theirs. So. Is that it? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Jane Martin. Liz Lerma from DPW. Liz Lerma, L-E-R-M-A. Um, she's, if you go to sfgov.org, there's a phone book link that you can click and you type in a, a, a city agent's a staffer's last name and typically you can find their phone number and it's called the Street Parks Program and the San Francisco Parks Trust SFPT.org I believe but it might be SFPT.com has a, a link on their 
um, webpage about street parks and what kinds are possible and what some of the, some of the uh, resources are, because it's quite a robust set of possibilities. Mm. Thanks very much. Oh, one last question. Which school is this, sorry? Monroe. Monroe, uh-huh. No. Yeah, it has to be a physical improvement. So we would, you know, we would expect you to figure out a way to get somebody to volunteer that, in, you know, either in kind or, yeah, we're not going to hire people because that's not really, you know, when, what happens when the grant runs out? Then, you know, you don't have continuous funding. We'll, we'll fund the improvement. And we have done that um, at um, Lick Middle, um, at, at uh, James Lick Middle School. We just we helped them with their gardens. Thank you.